Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast, the post-NHL trade deadline edition. And what a three-day span, four-day span now that was for the Blue Jackets. Woo! Taking a deep breath here, Aaron Portsheim with The Athletic, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Tom Reed. Good morning. All of us uh, survived the trade deadline. No movement here, uh, but boy, the Blue Jackets were busy. Uh, you know about Matt Duchesne. You, I don't think we've spoken to you since the addition of Ryan Dezingle. Uh, both of those guys from the Ottawa Senators. Blue Jackets add some serious offensive firepower up front, and they're not done there. They had Adam McQuaid yesterday at one tough ombre on the back end. Uh, really, really stout uh, physical defenseman for the one presumes the third pair and a, a goaltender Keith Kincaid from the New Jersey Devils and it's sort of a curious situation we'll get to that later but let's just I mean there's so much to this big picture here so much the Blue Jackets did they traded seven draft picks potentially two first rounders and two second rounders those have been previously considered to be gold here and John Davidson and Yarmo Kekalainen have preached a very steady, responsible, no rash moves uh, approach for the Blue Jackets since John Davidson's arrival and shortly after that, Yarmo Kekalainen's arrival. And here they're hit this year with a really tough situation. Sergei Bobrovsky uh, has an expiring contract and appears that he won't sign. Artemi Panarin has an, an aspiring contract and he won't even negotiate with him. These are probably the two best players in franchise history, and here they are uh, perhaps exercising their right to walk at the end of the season. And how do the Blue Jackets handle this? They keep a stiff upper lip all season. 60 games into this thing, uh, the team has kept it together. And how does the management respond to it? Well, they go get bigger. They go get more audacious. They add four more UFAs. It's almost, if you've followed this team for a long time, you've never seen anything like this. It is audacious. It is bold. It is all of those things. People around the league, inside the league, are talking about the Blue Jackets. I think other general managers are looking at this situation, and A, wondering how it's going to go, and B, feeling a tinge of jealousy. Uh, because who doesn't want to go on a shopping spree like this? Um, I, we can debate the, the merits of the argument that the Blue Jackets have gambled their future here. Um, but let's first talk, if we can, just about what they've added and how the, the tenor around this team has changed here in the last 72 hours. The outlook, the, the feeling, they're standing within the Metro, their hopes in the postseason. Who wants to be the first person to take a swing at this one? Because there's a lot here to unpack. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead, Al. <laughs> typical, typical analytics person. They uh, coin toss, they win the toss, and they'll, they'll, they'll defer. Uh, <laughs> the percentage. So, uh, yeah, playing the percentages. Um, God, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, this is they're borrowing from the Cavs phrase a couple of years ago. They're all in. Uh, I thought right down to the last couple of days that they would 
move Panarin even after making, you know, making a couple decent moves. But uh, to, to pick up on your first your point toward the end there, and on your your fine introduction as far as the excitement about this team, I was in the locker room Friday night, and this was the morning after. This was the morning of the trade for Duchesne. Oh, and Duchesne, cool. I'm sorry. Friday in Ottawa. Friday in Ottawa. It was the morning of the trade, and they win the game that night. Duchesne plays. And I'm not sure I've been in a Blue Jackets locker room, uh, especially in the regular season, that, that was that excited. And that, like, you could just tell those guys, like, just knew that Yarmo was not trading uh, Panarin at that point. Now, of course, he could have easily done that. But I think those guys felt like, yes, we can, we can do this. We can we finally feel like we can really compete. And then the next day they go out and add Duchesne's left winger in Ryan Dezingle. And, you know, then it's it's crazy. It's crazy what they've done. I, I personally would not have kept Panarin, but I do understand it. I do understand what they're trying to do. They probably look at the situation as, if not now, when. Uh, this is, the division is not as strong as it's been in the last couple of years. And at some point in this market, you've got to start winning. You've got to start winning playoffs. It's no longer just good enough to make the playoffs and get knocked out in the first round. And I think you bring in all these different circumstances. And I think that's what has kind of, uh, led to what happened yesterday. Yeah. Now it, it is fascinating. And Yarmo joked about this yesterday and we, we've known it to be true for years. Players don't give a damn about draft picks. Right. They don't. Those are just guys that might take their jobs in a couple of years. we got plenty in this room. That's the feeling with the players. Fans don't give a damn about draft picks until it's time for the draft. They want to win. They want players. They ask, want- them, ask about the Ottawa fans. How, how do they feel right now? Yes. They're not like fired up about that conditional first-round pick next year. But they are important, these draft picks. But, Allison, the Blue Jets, I don't think there's – any question they have bolstered this lineup um, significantly is this is the team that's going to skate tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins in Nationwide Arena it should be a a ruckus affair is this the best team this this franchise has ever iced I mean we're there right that's a that's a discussion worth having isn't it yeah and I think you know to use the old phrase on paper (laughs) because we haven't seen them play yet on paper this has to be the best roster that this team has put together. And I think, you know, the other value to this is Tom hinted at this of of the value of winning in this market is the value of doing this from a national perception perspective, right? I mean, we saw it even this year. I mean, all of us going on different radio shows and what have you, and all anyone wanted to to talk about was how two pending free agents are going to leave with with nothing. They don't want to be here. We weren't hearing about Cam Atkinson's record-setting season. We weren't hearing about Seth Jones as a possible Norris candidate. This whole series of events changes the narrative. And if they yeah. can pull this off, the other thing this does nationally, and, and you know, Yarmo hinted at this in his comments yesterday, this changes the narrative for what they can do with all the cap space they may have come end of season in that – Players are going to want to come here. Players are going to see a leadership group that believes in them, that will take crazy risks, and they're going to see a team that does have a young core that can get some stuff done. So even on the national outward-facing level, I've never seen anything like this, but wow. I mean, the the 
the returns could be immense, not just on the scoreboard. Yeah, and we've seen what what a run can do to a franchise, to the perception of a franchise, uh, from fans around the league, but also from players around the league. Look at the Nashville Predators. That's right. Uh, who I think people, a lot of people, until they started making the playoffs regularly and, and, and until they had that run, I think a lot of people saw Nashville as a team not that different, frankly, from Columbus or Florida or Carolina. Uh, maybe Carolina is not a good example because they've won a cup. But, a, a yeah, nice people, but I'm not sure what it's like to be a player there. They don't really care about their hockey. They go on that run now, and it's like players are like, oh, hell yeah, I'll go to Nashville. P.K. Subban, come on down. Um, it ju- it changes everything. And, but, you know, the, the, part, the part that, to Tom's point earlier, thinking that they were going to trade Panarin, it just seemed, I think, I think it's perhaps I've been steeped in the history of this organization. You just can't imagine this team being so out there, so aggressive. And again, this is not a first place team. This is not the Tampa Bay Lightning just pushing this thing over the, over the top. This is a team right now that's a point above the, the playoff line. To be so bold with this, to not hedge their bets by trading Panarin for draft picks and a prospect or so, um, to just give themselves some sort of, okay, well, we didn't totally mortgage the future. I just woke up today, my first thought was, you know, 2019 might be a blast. 2025 might suck out loud, but 2019 should be, uh, this is going to be a really interesting uh, two-month stretch here. Tom, just if you can, uh, how put into perspective here, how much risk they have they have taken in, in making these moves. And r- real quickly, they, they have two picks in this year's draft as of today. They don't have potentially a, tra- a pick until the fourth round next year. They're using arguments to justify what they did yesterday. Again, totally exciting. They're using arguments to justify what they did yesterday that they never would have used to justify trades before because they have so valued draft picks and prospects. Can you get your arms around the risk that this team has taken, Tom? Well, they better make the playoffs, first of all. Let's let's start there because, as you you noted, where they are in the standings, they had better get in. I, I do think they get in. I think that this team's good enough. And they not, you know, I think what Yarmo's done is put a, a target on their back, which, and I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. It's not, again, at some point, this franchise has to start winning. It, it can't be the same. It's, it, it's funny because Yarmo and JD came from St. Louis, right? A franchise that for a long time kept making the playoffs and did nothing in the playoffs. Right. And at some point, you have to step out of that. You have to take a chance. And I, I know JD or um, Yarmo wasn't running the show there in St. Louis. It was Doug Armstrong, correct? The, during that stretch, Yarmo was there for part of it, but never as the GM. Right, right. But but that that where they came from was a group that never took that risk. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were like, just as Yarmo had been doing, just they value draft picks like porcelain china. Yes. And now they are just throwing the. They're throwing those plates down like Greek dancers. They're they're like, let's go, baby. Uh, They better win. They better win a couple of rounds in the playoffs. Uh, It's exciting. It's it's, it's just what our society is. Prisoners of the moment. Who cares about 2025? It's like opening your credit card. They're like, how much in debt? But you know what? I think if if, if they, to to go off you and and, and 
what Allison was saying about Nashville, if, if they can win a couple of rounds here, uh, I think it does change the way uh, the nation looks, uh, the hockey world looks at the Blue Jackets. Brian Boucher said that last week we talked to him. It's like you, they need a deep run here. They, they, need, they need something. We can say all we want about what a great city it is to live in, uh, what a great place for Matt Duchesne to raise his little kid in. Players want to win. And you, you start that by winning a couple rounds and beating your biggest rivals who you haven't been able to beat. I think this is a chance for them to do that. I don't think this is a great Pittsburgh team. It's still a good Pittsburgh team. I think Washington's a good team. I don't think that it's a great Washington team. This is their chance right now. Yeah. Allison, uh, way in here. This is it's um, amazing, really. How how it how the tenor has changed here. I've heard John Davidson say scores of times. Fans always want you to trade the first round draft pick. We're not going to take. We're not going to chase the flavor of the month. We're going to build this thing the right way. I think something happened with with the Bobrovsky and Panarin situation where it put them in a in a corner and they decided rather than sit there and be the victim, rather than to be the sad sack friend. They were going to change the talk about Columbus, but they have really, really swung it out there. Yes. Oh, I, you, there is no version of the world that I would have predicted this series of events. I mean, I've, I've admittedly been the most conservative, I think, on all of this. I've been the one nervous every time a pick went out. I've been the one saying, well, they've got Duchesne, so now they can definitely trade Panarin. You know, I've I've been the one couching and at the same time as, as we talked about the risk. I mean, this is when Yarmo said yesterday, you know, these picks that we give away, they don't necessarily pay off till 2025. I'm like, well, you're screwing whoever's here in 2025 potentially. But to see this and to think that we know this is a group that talks with ownership, that talks with everyone involved in running that club and that everyone has bought into this. What a story. This is going to be a time that's going to be talked about in terms of this franchise for a long, long time, hopefully for better. But, you know, it, it, this is going to be a pivotal moment for, for what this yeah. group looks like for the next easily six to seven years, if not longer. Yeah. And I've always said a theory. If you're going to max out your credit card, like don't don't do it paying interest, like do it on cars and vacations and, <laughs> and weekends you can't remember right like like uh, what's the great line um so and so blew through his uh, 10 million where how did you lose 10 million dollars well I, I spent it on wine women and song and the rest of it i squandered right like right. go do it so why not have if you're gonna go about it do it do it this way um you look at that lineup now and they've got duchene between Panarin, he's still here, and Atkinson. They've got uh, the second line, if you want to call it that. I think it's more of the third line now, but Jenner's still between Felino and Anderson. They've got oof, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, once the number one center, is now between Ryan Zingle and Oliver Bjorkstrand. That's a really interesting line. The fourth line, which has really come on now, Riley Nash between uh, Dubinsky and Eric Robinson, the rookie who's looked really, really good. And suddenly now Alexander Wenberg, uh, once not long ago, the number one center of this team, is on the outside looking in. 
defensively, they are, of course, waiting and watching for Ryan Murray to return. Um, he is out with an upper body injury. I, the, the, the club is continuing to say that it is a week-to-week, but it could be some time. Uh, so a little gray area there. I think that may have uh, compelled them to make the McQuaid move even more, but I think they needed McQuaid to begin with. They haven't had a thumper back there on the back end since Ian Cole uh, was allowed to walk this summer. I think it's really important to have a guy back there that can be physical uh, and has been through this before. He has won a Stanley Cup, I believe, with Boston in 2011 was the year he was there. Um, Really, uh, just the way that the depth of this team now in both spots on the ice is is um, I, it's something that they've waited a while to have here. I think the these last couple of years they've loaded up in the in the playoffs in the, at the trade deadline as well, heading into the playoffs. Uh, but I don't, I certainly don't recall uh, depth like this. Tom, what do you like? Is, is there when you look at these four guys these, that they've brought in? Let's just look at the skaters, McQuaid, Duchesne, Dezinkle. Uh, what is it about these guys? Is there any any uh, wide-scope look at those three that that uh, excites you? Well, first of all, you know, you know, we've talked about for years, I mean, when they go into the playoffs, they just don't have the centers to match up. I, I, I think it is, so, uh, it, it is so amazing that two years ago when the Blue Jackets had their best season ever, Alexander Wenberg was the number one center. And as you just mentioned now, as they go on this run, he's not even currently in the lineup. Now he's probably going to get back in here at some point, but they've never had that one, two punch down the middle where you say, well, that's pretty good. Now Duchesne hasn't done it in the playoffs. We, we know that he's, he's only been in eight playoff games in nine years. And I think a lot of that's the teams that he's played for, but with Dubois, I thought gave a very credible, uh, uh, performance last year in the postseason in the six games they were in there. So you put those two guys and then throw Boone Jenner as, and I agree with you, kind of a third-line guy. Uh, they finally kind of have somewhere down the middle with their, their deep that uh, Duchesne is going to play on the power play. He's fit in right away. He's, you see the chemistry there with Panarin. So that looks good. Zingle, I think uh, we were talking with Ray Ferraro the other day, and Ray Ferraro said, "Yes, he's played. He's played on a bad Ottawa team on the number one line with Duchesne. But where he would really be good is like on a second or third line, where you're not going against top defensemen because he uses that speed so well. And yeah. now, lo and behold, that's where he is. By keeping Panarin, you don't put pressure on the Zingle to say, hey, you got to be first line left winger to help us in.'" in the playoffs or get to the playoffs and do something that's good McQuaid you want him low in the lineup uh and maybe help some of these younger defensemen uh he was hurt he came back in the lineup in New York Brady Shea who we've mentioned on this program before when we were talking about second and third year defensemen going into slumps he was having a terrible year uh they put him with Adam McQuaid and he's kind of turned his game around and they've given a lot of credit to McQuaid you already mentioned the fact that he's a guy that will also protect his teammates. Uh, that's a part of it. But I think just a veteran presence back there may help some of the younger guys. Maybe they play him with Nudavara. I don't know. Uh, and then the backup goalie, as you mentioned, I'm not quite sure what where this is going. But because you can keep as many guys as you want at this point, we'll see where that goes with uh, Keith Kincaid. 
Yeah. Allison, let me go uh, name by name with you here and uh, tell me what stands out. Maybe some things below the surface that may stand out that other people wouldn't recognize uh, in the players that the Blue Jackets acquired. Matt Duchesne. Gosh, I mean, he's an interesting one that I think it's the center position, as Tom already illustrated, that's really going to play out for him. Centers are always unique, right, because they don't necessarily stand out in one part of the ice or another because they have so much responsibility. But what I like about what Matt Duchesne is going to do is he's going to really help elevate, in my opinion, the transition game, getting that puck through the neutral zone for the Jackets. Um, Particularly from a center position, he comes in and immediately leapfrogs all the current Jacket centers and his ability to get the puck through the zone. And again, consider what team he's coming from. You can even perhaps bump that up a little bit in terms of the ability of what he did. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Zingle, I'm a dope. I can recognize the speed. What else is there with him? Well, what's nice is he's he's doing a little bit of a Cam Atkinson, so it's going to be interesting in that he's riding a really nice shooting percentage. So we're going to want to see where that balances out. Is he going to be someone like Cam who just keeps a higher side shooting percentage as his career advances? He's young enough that that could be a thing. Um, the other thing I like and shocking, I'm going to mention an intangible, is that I like the comfort level I think he will bring to Duchesne and vice versa. Um, having a familiar face, having a friend to go through this with, I think is huge. I like that perspective of the move as well. And a guy who has uh, played on his line directly, should there be a further shuffling? So we know they've had success together, uh, Dezingle and Duchesne. Um, Look, I've always wanted to cover Adam McQuaid. The Blue Jackets drafted him back in 2005. Uh, he did not sign here uh, at risk of losing him back into the draft. The Blue Jackets traded his rights away um, to Boston. This this is an old school dude who uh, at times wears a mullet and wears it really, really well. Um, we'll I never thought I was going to hear that ever that phrase ever on our podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, I look at his head and I don't know what other kind of hair you could have. It just it just fits. Um this he, he, I don't think you think of him as a fighter, but he is certainly willing. 102 of them in his NHL career. Um, what's there, Allison? What what's this? What is Adam McQuaid as a as a player rather than just Bordy's deranged version of a tough guy? <laughs> well, I mean, he, he's he's definitely as as Tom said, old school. I mean, this this is not a guy to look to for offensive production. Tom mentioned this or. I forget which article it was in last night um, from you guys, but not an offensive producer, but he is going to really shore up the shot suppression side of the game for the Jackets. So what I'm curious about is to look who the team pairs him with, because when you have someone that effective, the way to balance that out in terms of how hockey's played these days is to put him with someone who can do the work of moving the puck the other way, because that's not his game. Um, But We've talked and talked, or I've talked and talked about some lightened defense um, from this group this year. And so from that perspective, shoring up shots against is huge, but he's got to be with someone who can then take that suppression and turn it into offense going the other way. Yeah. I just wonder, like for me, I'm thinking to myself, if Murray comes back, you have an, is Nudavara Savard the second pair? Is Murray McQuaid the second pair? Or some variation of those two, I think it could be really interesting. Kincaid was a fantastic goaltender last year. 
uh, for the Devils team that, that surprised everyone, uh, even those at, at uh, Satterali's Meat Market in, in Newark, by making the uh, the run to the playoffs. It was something 26-10-3, a safe percentage almost at 9-15. The numbers are way down this year. Uh, 891 safe percentage, which is one of the worst in the in the league. Uh, losing record. The, the the Devils have fallen off the face of the earth. But uh, tell me, uh, Keith Kincaid, is this? We've seen him get hot before. Uh, what is it about his game that suggests he could be a an impressive or uh, safe ad for these Blue Jackets? Yes. Well, uh, Yarmo mentioned again his 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 postseason record last year, um, which was something to take note of. And I'm, I'm digging into this with the help of our colleague, uh, Catherine Silverman, who's a goalie expert. Um, but just kind of as we start to go in here, there's not a real difference in terms of the shots he's faced in terms of total count. Um, it looks like he's gotten a little bit of a higher degree of difficulty coming at him this year. Um, sure. And it's just translated into a lot more goals against in terms of being above average. Now, the, here's the thing, and this is where I think this gets really interesting, and you mentioned this yesterday, Porty, is is this a push? Is this a, hey, someone else is here to Bob and Corpusalo? Because even with Kincaid's numbers, when we look at performing up to expectations, he's still hanging in there right with where Eunice Corpusalo is. So, you know, that's that's the thing. Who's going to perform up to expectations if we ask the question that way? Keith Kincaid is maybe a slightly better option. Um, and he has the postseason experience, perhaps more so than, than Bob does, and perhaps a different take on it. So this could be as much of a performance move as a internal competition move, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, my, my first thought, and Tom, I want to get your thoughts on this too. When they added Kincaid, your first thought was, whoa, like what is coming? Are they moving Corpus Allis? Certainly I didn't think Kincaid was, was a uh, replacement for Bobrovsky if they – moved him along, not alone anyways. Um, but you wonder if, if that adding Kincaid looking at that end of the room is sort of saying, we're not, trust, we're not sure that we trust either one of you guys in your roles. In other words, should Bobrovsky flame in the playoffs again? Uh, here's Kincaid. And should that happen, Bobrovsky struggle in the playoffs, they'd rather go to Kincaid than Corpusalo. Uh, that's one way to read it. Just listening to John Tortorelli yesterday, and talking to people um, overnight, I think the sense is that the only the only protection they had in the event that one of those guys got hurt, Bobrovsky or Corpusalo, is Jean-Francois Barube down in Cleveland. Uh, and nothing against him, but I think they wanted to have a proven NHL guy as an insurance policy. You are you've bought yourself a hell of a nice car here uh, with all of these players that they've added. The last thing you want to do is not have an insurance policy on it. And this gives them three guys in net. Keeping in mind, Elvis Merzlikens may join the mix as well in in March, and that appears to be his his plan. Uh, Tom Kincaid comes in. They've got three goalies. They're going to try to juggle three goalies in practice now. That can get weird. How do you see this working out? No, I think uh, you know. I, I don't think I can really add anything to it. I think you just you summed it up perfectly. I think that. Oh, that yeah, no, that's all, all, all seriousness. Uh, I think that they, you know, that you've just made this massive investment. And, you know, it's been a couple of years since Bob has had injury problems. But we all remember Bob had injury problems. 
And you also mentioned that Bob has had moments where uh, he hasn't been very good in the playoffs. He's, he just have to do is look at the record. And Cade has played in the playoffs. And it's just another guy that they can have there. It's a, it is an insurance policy. I, I think that's why. One thing I want to do point out for, for our readers at athletic.com, Allison uh, Lucan is going to take a really nice deep dive into all, all the four players that were added and what they're going to meet. And that's going to run on Thursday, right, Allison? Correct. Yeah, so definitely make sure people read that. That way you can get a real good sense of what these guys uh, are going to bring to this team and what the Blue Jackets are adding as far as some of the underlying numbers uh, and their performance. Let's uh, let's kick this around here if we can, because it's something we've talked about, and now we I think we have the the full math in front of us. Given what the Blue Jackets have done and the the devil may care attitude that, that is perceived to be Jarmo Kekalainen's approach here, what must they accomplish now in the postseason for this to have been worth it? Um, again, if they sign Matt Duchesne. Their next two first-round picks and next two second-round picks are spoken for. That is substantial. Um, what do they have to achieve now? Uh, they have to make the playoffs, of course. I think they have to win a first round, but how far beyond that do they have to go for people to say, you know what, it was worth it, and we'll take the lumps whenever they come. If there are going to be lumps, uh, this was the right thing to do. Allison, you want that one? Uh, I think they have to win at least two rounds. Okay. Interesting. Tom? Tom? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I Spot on. You have to try to – you have to win two rounds. Uh, if you get to Tampa Bay, uh, I think it's you've, – you've done a good job. And who knows? Who knows what happens? You, you, you th- we all – I think we all agree that Tampa Bay is the best team. But you never know what happens in the NHL playoffs. Um, they play seven games a series for a reason. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they have to win two rounds. I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a failure. This project's a failure if they don't win two rounds yeah. and they, and, 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 and again, getting back to, if they win two rounds, it's going to be more than just the guys that they brought in. It's probably going to mean that it's going to showcase guys like Seth Jones and Dubois sure. and Wierenski. They're going to play well. And, and that, as far as the. This is where the real success to me comes in. And that's when like free agents start looking like, wow, that's a pretty good team. I've been watching them a lot here for the last month. That's a pretty good team. And I, don't, I don't usually watch them, these guys that are sitting at home. But uh, Columbus has got something going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I walk out of that building uh, some nights. and oh, Granted, it's late. But I think, man, Calgary had the Red Mile. Nashville had its that that rock and scene on Broadway, we have seen the 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 transformational power that a playoff run can have on a city. And kudos to the Blue Jackets brass for taking a run at it. Um, I you you don't have to strain your eyes too hard to imagine that place rocking and rolling um, in the springtime. And there is nothing like. Uh, the, you can feel it in the air, the warm weather coming with a hockey game to go to when they start to really have some weight about them. Uh, it's going to be really, really interesting here. Blue Jackets, 21 games to go here. They start tonight against Pittsburgh. Uh, you recall the game that they played on the other side of the trade deadline last year, how momentous that was. What are you guys looking for tonight? 
Paul. Well, I think you want to you want to set a tone right away. I mean, this is perfect. It's a perfect opponent right off the bat. Uh, there, Pittsburgh's a little wounded on the back end with some guys hurt and some key guys hurt. Uh, Dumlin, and I don't know what Latang's situation is if he's going to be available. He's yeah. out. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, a, a massive opportunity, especially against a team that I think has beaten them six games in a row. That's right. Uh, if you're going to, you know, again, I, regular season games don't mean a whole hell of a lot once the postseason starts. But if you want to, like, send a message right away, like, here we are, uh, this is the time to do it, especially coming off that emphatic 4 nothing win uh, over San Jose the other night. Uh, so that's a, that would be a good way to get things started because I think all eyes are going to be on Columbus tonight because they want to see what this team looks like and, and can they play a team that's bedeviled them so much in the past. Yeah. Allison, your thoughts on uh, the scene in Nationwide and what, what this could be like here uh, as the weather starts to warm in Central Ohio. Yeah, I mean, it's remember what happened last year at the deadline. I mean, the team played the same day, but they came out, beat Washington soundly, and then rattled off a whole slew of wins, came yep. came into that postseason with confidence, looked strong, felt strong. So from that perspective, I think if they can replicate that kind of a post-deadline performance, it, it, it portends good things. And just imagine, I mean, what this city will do with the space available, the resources available to celebrate this team. This is a this is a proud city. This is a city that doesn't like hearing they're not good enough or they're a farm town or anything that isn't the progressive nature of what these people are all about. And and they're going to celebrate the heck out of this if the Jackets can get it going. Yeah, it's the one thing, like we talked about, the successes of this market. Um, and it's always sort of, you know, it's that great phrase at the end, despite right. the team going on a run. They've created a lot of prospects from here. The grassroots hockey is super healthy, despite the having gone on the run. They have a great fan base here, uh, yada, 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 just never having gone on a run. It sure feels, it sounds like Tom's making breakfast. Uh, Tom, what are you doing? What are you doing? Feeding the animals. I got, I got a lot of animals over here. I got four oh. animals. They need fed. But our people it's need called, to hear the message. Have you called your oh, mom? Oh, that message is coming. Have you called your mom? Oh my goodness, she's got. She just hired an agent. <laughs> uh, anyways, I was going somewhere meaningful. The um, it just it feels like there's something brewing here. They better hope there is because it's it's on the line. Uh, thanks for listening <laughs> to us. Uh, thanks for reading. Thanks for watching. It's all up there on the uh, on the uh, the athletic site. I'm posting a, a a trade deadline notebook of sorts with a. Uh, Wenberg note, Kincaid note, a uh, Duclair note, lots of stuff on there. Should be up there shortly. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys post game tonight uh, from Nationwide. For Allison Lucan, for Tom Reed, Aaron Fortson saying thanks so much, and we'll talk to you guys soon.